Sponsored Juniper Appstra's intent-based multi-vendor networking solution helps you build your data center network to a specific design, then make sure it stays within that spec. Deployment automation and continuous validation. Find out more at juniper.net slash packetpushers slash appstra. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Today's topic is going to be about the hybrid cloud and Azure Arc. Yes, it's going to be another Azure service, but this one is not focused on Azure things. It's focused on-prem. What, what's that all And other clouds. What's that all about? Yeah, well, it, it, you can certainly deal with Azure stuff, right? Um, but Arc gives you this sort of an umbrella manager so you can manage things that are both in Azure and on-premises. So it's dare I say it, hybrid cloud-related, Ned. <gasps> oh, no, we used the dreaded H word. And here to school us all about Azure Arc is Ben Weissman. He is a data passionist, passionate about data and a Microsoft MVP. So enjoy the show with him and Azure Arc. Well, Ben Weissman, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. And let's start with the easy stuff. Ben, who are you and what would you say you do around here? That's kind of a philosophical question. Who am I? Who are, who are we all? Why are we here? <laughs> what did I sign up for here? Um, oh. No, my name is Ben Weissman. Um, I'm a data passionist um, from Nuremberg, Germany. I'm running a small consultancy firm here. We're mainly focusing on stuff like data warehousing and BI. I'm also a Microsoft Data Platform MVP. And due to this whole pandemic thing, um, I spend way less time traveling and in exchange, way more time um, authoring stuff. So I actually also authored a couple of courses around all kinds of data topics with Pluralsight APRES over the last couple of months, over the last 18 months, I would say. Um, when I'm not working and when I'm not um, authoring stuff, I'm a Lego enthusiast. Um, and I used to be a very active runner that changed a bit earlier this year um, because um well, we had a baby, which is great, but um, <laughs> it, it led to, a, let's say, shift in priorities. Um, yes. So um, the question, what do I do around here? Not much sleeping, but um, other than that. Um... <laughs> well, Ethan and I are both parents, so we absolutely understand that shift in priorities. And trust me, eventually you'll get back to the running. I know I, I certainly did. I'm on a hiatus myself because I broke one of my toes, but I'll be back on my feet shortly. Ben, I am also a Lego enthusiast, by the way. If I were to spin this camera, you would see on my shelf right over there the Galaxy Explorer, which, as a child of the 80s, in the catalog, that was the one I wanted. Oh, I couldn't wait to get it, and I got it one Christmas, and I've never lived it. I just, it's been so, such a joy, still on my shelf up there intact, the Galaxy Explorer. Anyway, wow. All right. I'll let you two nerd out uh, after the episode, perhaps. <laughs> At some point, Ethan, let me give you a tour of the office because um, the, the office is kind of a Lego museum at this point. Oh, boy. Oh, okay. my goodness. Well, the reason we are here is not to talk about Lego, necessarily. Uh, I know. I know. I, I, I entrapped you with enticings of Lego. It is but disappointing. It, we're going to talk about hybrid cloud and the different approaches that vendors have suggested for hybrid cloud. So my question to you, Ben, is when the vendors are coming up with all their different solutions for hybrid cloud, what are they actually trying to solve for? Of course, it depends. And this will kind of probably be the running joke and be me being a consultant, kind of my answer to every single question. <laughs> um, but there's some seriousness to it. Uh, but the point being, 
I think many vendors are still figuring out the cloud. If you think back like 10, 15 years when we first started talking about clouds, you saw all kinds of vendors, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and all like, hey, come to the cloud. And um, at this point, everyone was, okay, I kind of have to figure out, okay, this is the cloud I'm going to because Microsoft told me that's where everyone is going. Or Amazon said, yeah, but our cloud is faster. And Google said, our cloud is cheaper um, or whatever. And then at, people realized vendors and customers both alike, okay, um, we haven't really got this right. There is not the cloud. There's a, t- a multitude of clouds and there may just not be one size fits all up to the point that there may be solutions that will never move to the cloud for infrastructure reason, because he's using some kind of legacy system that you don't want to or can't get rid of. Um, so I think for the foreseeable future, with very few exceptions, um, this world will be a hybrid world, meaning we will still have stuff on-prem, we will still have stuff in the cloud, and in the cloud, we, I mean multiple clouds in most cases. Um, just think of um, so many vendors that don't even offer their stuff in the Microsoft cloud or in the Google cloud or in the Amazon cloud, um, but they just say, well, we're running our own cloud, so you can get our software as a service or a platform as a service, but um, you're not going to get it from somebody else. You're going to get it from us because they want a piece of that um, very big cake as well. So what I'm seeing is um, they realize they're not going to convince you to move all your stuff into their cloud. So they're trying to add value in their products and make it therefore more interesting, like, which is obviously easy if you own the product. Like, well, if I'm the developing company of a data platform tool of a database engine, it, I may have means of making this thing um, work more um, in my way than others do. Um, but also reduce complexity, make it easy. For, they have realized, okay, people might be moving from A to B, but not 100%. So see how you can have multiple clouds um, kind of work together and work as a piece. Right. Uh, yeah. We're seeing a lot of different challenges around that. Partly it's the management problem. I now have five clouds instead of just what I had on-prem. So I got to get my arms around that. And there's also the challenge of migrations. Can I move an app from one to the other? What's what's the benefit and what's the cost? That You'd mentioned that you know, vendors have products for this kind of stuff. They're trying to meet us where we are. Microsoft has just a lot of products, man. They've, they've been making stuff, obviously, for years. And there's a lot of different product groups. So sometimes there's competition between the groups. So I'm hoping you can help me out here to sort of disentangle some of this. We've got Azure Stack, we've got Config Manager, and now Azure Arc is being pushed. What are all these things and, and why would you use one over the other? Uh, you forgot System Center and, 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 and like a gazillion other <laughs> tools just for Microsoft. <laughs> uh, and uh, I honestly think there's a truth that, that in some parts, it's really just different teams um, that um, may not be knowing what the other hand is kind of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, that's most probably also uh, a very rare case, but I do th- still do think it happens. I mean, at a size, um, at a company the size of Microsoft, um, and again, or Amazon or, or any of the others, I would be highly surprised if not at some point um, people realize, oh, we've been working on the same thing. Um, we just were not allowed to talk about each other with each other. So the things that you mentioned, Azure Stack, Config Manager, and Arc, um, they're kind of different things for different use cases. If you look at Azure Stack, Azure Stack is kind of... Um, and hardware appliance, basically. So you are you kind of want to use Azure services, but for infrastructure or legal reasons, you cannot actually move to the Microsoft Cloud. So you, you buy a piece of hardware um, that kind of gives you all, the, it gives you like the portal and it gives you like VMs, not every single Azure service by far, but um, a bunch of them. 
Uh, and you just deploy that piece of hardware, that appliance, and basically run your own Azure on-premises or on your oil rig or whatever it is. <laughs> the cruise ship. That's what they always say. <laughs> yeah. You can run it on a cruise ship. I'm, okay. Sure. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> there, there we go. Um, then we get, well, Config Manager is kind of, um, I haven't personally used it. I looked into it. So from my understanding, and please chime in and correct me on everything I say wrong, but from my understanding, Config Manager is mainly really about kind of what System Center does and, um, yeah, deploy policies and stuff to machines. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm running like a, a gazillion, not just VMs, but also laptops and stuff. And I'm just using that to make sure um, they're all following the same rules. Um, Azure Arc does something completely different and still it would also run, run on Azure Stack. So it's not that different. Uh, <laughs> Azure Arc basically brings ARM to wherever you have stuff, kind of. So you can deploy Azure resources um, to any infrastructure and you can link any infrastructure to the Azure portal to have a single point of uh, management. view. So it bridges the gap between everything that's not in Azure and the stuff that is in Azure. So Azure kind of becomes your one-stop shop for to get an overview of everything that's happening, even though it is outside of Azure. So Arc is a configuration tool or a monitoring tool or, or is it all of those things? It is all of those things and more. So um, <laughs> it depends. How oh, oh, could I forget about my running joke? Damn. No, so uh, think of Arc kind of like a brand. And um, below Arc, there's currently five different offerings. There's Azure Arc enabled server, Azure Arc enabled SQL server, Azure Arc enabled Kubernetes, Azure Arc enabled machine learning, Azure Arc enabled data services. Those are the five things that are out there right now. There Which might is, be more I, coming I looked on into that, Ben, right? All of that, those five categories. And it looks like it gives you the ability to manage all of these services as if they are an Azure service, even if they're local. And it gives you a bunch of the templates. You mentioned ARM uh, and so Correct. on to stand up these services, see how these services are doing. Correct. And do it all in one interface, whether or not, again, whether they're local or whether they're actually hosted in Azure. Correct. Azure. Arc-enabled data service is kind of the outlier in that. For the other four, it's the, the point is basically you have something that exists outside of Azure and you want to see it in the portal. So you have 100 VMs running in the Amazon cloud and you have another 50 SQL servers running on-prem and you have two Kubernetes clusters running in the Google cloud. Um, you bring all those into the Azure um, world, uh, but you only bring in the metadata. So basically what you do is you install some kind of agent on them and that agent differs depending yeah. on what you do. So the agent for SQL server will be a different agent than for a Linux server than the agent for a Windows server. Um, you can deploy them one by one or you can automate that deployment. So you could have a script um, that is using a service principle. So a service account in Azure um, where you just say, okay, I'm going to run this script unattended on all my hundred machines and um, boom, they all show up in the Azure portal. Yeah. But basically yeah. in that way, um, it gives me the monitoring experience. It gives me setting the setting of policies. It will say um, you could monitor backups. You could say, oh, um, I want to change the Windows um, update policy on all of my machines, no matter where they are, and you do it in one central spot. So for those, it's mainly a management slash monitoring um, perspective. Um, Azure Arc-enabled Kubernetes also um, brings a bunch of other stuff. So there's stuff like Azure Functions, like Azure Web Service, uh, App Services, 
that you can usually only deploy to Azure. That's why they're called Azure functions. And now you can say, hey, I'm taking whichever Kubernetes service that I've deployed on-prem, that I've deployed in, the, in, in any cloud, make it Arc-enabled, therefore connected to Azure, and therefore make this kind of an Azure Kubernetes cluster, even though it's not an Azure Kubernetes service. And now you can deploy stuff to it like um, an Azure function. So you can have an Azure function that runs in Azure or on-prem or in AWS and you use the exact same code for it because, I mean, the stuff that you can do with a Python script in an, in an Azure function, you could, in theory, take that to any kind of VM, but you don't get like the comfort and everything that you get from something like an Azure function, which is something that's super pretty neat. Um, and, and the magic to bring all of these services under correct. the care and feeding of Arc seemed to be a script. It didn't really, I was reading through the Jumpstart guide to bring a lot of these services on board. It didn't seem like rocket science to make all of that happen. Um, from an engineering point, um, it probably is, but from a, from an end user point, yeah, um, right. it really is bam, there you go. So Azure Arc enabled data services, um, gets you a SQL managed instance that you can deploy anywhere. And it's so, it's so, um, actually I recently did a video with uh, one of the Microsoft guys where he was using my stream deck. Um, so on my stream deck, I just used the button and every single time I pushed that button during that conversation, it deployed a managed instance on premises for me. Um, because that's, that's how easy, I mean, we well, might argue about the actual use case of that, but, um, <laughs> okay. So that's, we, we talked about server. Okay. That's to manage virtual machines or I guess physical machines too, Correct. Uh, wh wherever they might be. Uh, we've got SQL server. So that's with the SQL server component, you, you mentioned a managed version that's data services, but there's also, Correct. if I just, if I just have you know, a cluster of SQL servers, I can install the agents. Do I get configuration control out of that? Or is it purely just monitoring for, for information about how that cluster is running? Well, you, you do get some kind of configuration management, um, stuff like policies and so, but it, it has its limits. So it, it's not as if you were sitting in front of that box. So um, okay. Arc-enabled server, Arc-enabled SQL server, mainly policy management, monitoring, and since monitoring is using Azure Monitor, it means you can also use all kinds of alerts and stuff. So you, you, you really get um, the, so. Um, okay. And one of the typical use cases for that, that I see is, okay, there's two companies that just merged on um, potentially small companies. And one of them built everything in Azure. One of them built everything in AWS. They will never have the manpower to merge that together in one cloud, but at least now they can say, okay, this is kind of our um, policy. Um, un unless someone did something in AWS that's not working in Azure. Like for example, you, an Azure virtual machine can never have the word Windows in its name. In AWS, it can. Interesting. Um, I didn't know that, that also means you cannot onboard <laughs> a, a, a machine in AWS that has Windows in its name. So you may have to actually rename a couple of your machines. Oh, that's um, wild. It is. Um, and I, found, I figured that out the hard way. <laughs> I guess it sounds like that was something gleaned from experience, not just from reading it on a doc somewhere. Oh my goodness. Okay. So that's, that's the first two. The next one I'm was not even true. It is in the docs. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> the next one is, was Kubernetes. Now All with right. that, are you deploying a Kubernetes cluster or are you just sort of managing and monitoring an existing? You're managing and monitoring the, and the existing cluster. So you have to set up the cluster yourself. Um, but once you do, you get monitoring stuff, um, which, oh, in Kubernetes, I mean, you could deploy Grafana, Kibana, and all the um, default, or um, more kind of default, more industry standard monitoring tools that come with Kubernetes. But um, that way, you really get that kind of out of the box again. 
You can set up all these alerts and monitorings, and you can also deploy new applications um, or pods or anything to that cluster. And that's also the way Arc-enabled data services work. Azure Arc-enabled data services purely run on Kubernetes. So if you say, hey, I want to have that managed instance, I want to install it on my Windows box. No, well, you may want to have that, but you're not going to get it because <laughs> Arc-enabled data services, um, just like um, the previous thing, big data clusters, um, which came with SQL 2019, only works on Kubernetes. And that also kind of is the end game or the answer to the question that I've been, as a data guy, I've been wondering myself, why are they doing that whole thing with SQL and Linux and stuff? Um, I mean, what's the point? This kind of is the point because now we're at a point we get something to make that work so fast and so efficient and so easy, despite all the stuff that is happening in the background. Um, it had to be containerized. Um, and right. win Windows containers suck. Um, <laughs> let me just say that again. Windows containers <laughs> suck. Just in case I wasn't clear the first time. No argument here on that one. <laughs> so and, yeah. Then let me ask you a real practical question here. Now that we kind of we have a good sense of what Arc is all about, why? If I'm the end consumer of Azure and uh, I'm looking at Arc, what is driving me to Arc enable all of these things? Is it simply that unified plane, or do I get a bigger benefit, a bigger bang for my buck out of it? So it depends, <laughs> of course. <laughs> so. With server and SQL server, for, from my perspective, um, it, it is mainly that. So it is mainly having that single control plane um, that gives me that overview. With data services and Arc-enabled machine learning, it's more than that. So with data services, like I said, you're getting a managed instance. On, so first of all, you're getting a product on-prem or in any infrastructure that you could not get outside of the Azure cloud before. So if you say, well, I really like that product, but I can move it to the Azure cloud for whichever reason. Again, being it, well, I just don't have the bandwidth for it or um, all of my other stuff sits in AWS. It just doesn't make sense to host that database in Azure and stuff. Um, you're getting a product that you don't get anywhere else and you get um, the payment model from a cloud-based service um, plus part of the service agreement. I mean, obviously, if you get a regular managed instance in Azure, Microsoft is also giving you an SLA on hardware and stuff. For some reason, they don't give you an SLA on your own hardware. Why? Jeez, why? Microsoft, why not? Microsoft, if you're listening, why? Step it up. We need to talk about that. <laughs> but uh, still, they, they bring you stuff like automated updates, automated backups, and so so all the stuff that you would expect from a managed cloud service. And the other thing is, you can neatly scale it up and down, and you get pay-per-use. Oh, so that's interesting. And, and, and this, this is... Um, where uh, it's, it's getting interesting for quite a bunch of customers that are like, well, we're running this huge job, but we only run it like once a month and it needs like a gazillion CPUs. And the rest of the month, we could basically shut down that box because it's doing nothing. But still, we have to buy those um, millions of dollars worth of enterprise edition licenses and still have to make sure we apply those updates every single month um, only to run that single job. Well, now you basically run that whole thing on Kubernetes and scale it up and down um, as you please. And pay as you go. So you also only pay for those um, resources used and having a pay as you go model um, on your own infrastructure. I think that is super neat. Yeah. So it sounds like you've been working actively with Azure Arc uh, with some folks out there. I want to ask you for specifics on any companies, because obviously that's that's you, you don't want to tell us all about that. But if you could just describe some of the projects you've worked on in general terms so we can get a sense of what you've been working on and and, and Maybe some of the issues you've run into as you're trying to deploy this service. 
So um, it's it's mostly the typical hybrid situation where you have someone that's like, okay, this is kind of the end goal. We kind of want to move to Azure, but we, we don't know if it's going to be in a year or in two or in 20. Um, but but we're going there for sure at some point. Um, also, mostly customers that were at a point where they're like, okay, the infrastructure that we have right now just doesn't do anymore. Um, like being on SQL Server 2012, 2014, or potentially even something older than that one. Okay, we got to do something about that. What do we do now without moving to the cloud right away? And that's it. If I get an MI on-prem now, and then after that, I'll move to an MI in Azure. So that's the other nice thing, portability. If you have something that you can deploy anywhere on-prem in any cloud or in Azure, you don't have to vendor lock in right now on, on what you're trying to do in five years because that, that's kind of the situation many of these customers are in. Well, I have no idea what I'm going to do um, in five. We're kind of aiming for Azure at this point, but potentially at some point um, we're going to use another ERP or CRM system and they're going to tell us, yeah, but you can only do that on this and that cloud. Or do I kind of want to go back three years then or am I just picking something now? And that's, again, the beauty of Kubernetes. It deploys everywhere and you just take that um, configuration since everything is infrastructure as code and uh, deploy it somewhere else and be done. So all that flexibility that you get, that, that is kind of where most people are um, pushing from. Uh, to be honest, not so many things that went wrong so far, but then again, um, data services, which is the thing that I mainly use being a data guy, only G8 um, two months ago. So they didn't have much time to screw that up yet. So, <laughs> I mean, obviously lots of things that went wrong in preview, but then again, that's kind of what you expect. I interrupt this podcast conversation and possibly myself to explain who the heck sponsor Appstra is. In a nutshell, multi-vendor network automation plus continuous validation. And I stress multi-vendor because if you've been paying attention to acquisition news, you know that Appstra was bought by Juniper a while back. So you might be thinking you don't care about Appstra unless you're a Juniper shop. And that is just not true. Appstra can handle data center network automation across a spectrum of vendors. So what do we mean by data center automation anyway? We mean that you design the DC network to meet some business requirements you have, and you do that within the Appstra interface, and let's say it's leaf spine with eVPN. Appstra's got access to the network devices themselves, and it takes your intent to create that leaf spine physical network with an eVPN overlay and configures it for you. I mean, Appstra can't plug the cables in for you, right? You still have to do that bit. But Appstra can tell you when the cabling is out of whack, whether that's during the day zero build-out phase or the day two, hey, it looks like an optic failed phase. And that's sort of the point here. Cabling, routing relationships, device and link addressing, inter-switch links, VLANs, VTEPs, mappings, tons of these things. So many that you don't want to have to do that configuration yourself. It seems fun until you're actually building it, and then you realize it's totally not fun. You want software to stand up the data center fabric for you. Software's not going to fat finger an address. Software's not going to forget to update BGP policy. Software? Software loves you. <laughs> right, okay. Not all software loves you, but Appstra software does, so much so that it not only helps get that fabric built, but keeps it built the way you intended. Something was out of spec, Appstra will enforce your intent, which should help you reduce security vulnerabilities, by the way, and alert you to the bits that need a human's attention. Appstra claims up to 80% improvements in operational efficiency, 70% improvements in mean time to resolution, and 90% improvements in time to deliver, and that is a lot of love. 
Find out more at juniper.net slash packet pushers slash abstra. If you're a data center network engineer, this is worth your investigation. Once more, that's juniper.net slash packet pushers slash abstra. And if you talk to your Juniper rep about abstra, make sure to tell them you heard about them on packet pushers. Juniper.net slash packet pushers slash abstra. And now back to the podcast. You just made a point, Ben, that I think maybe we've obfuscated a little bit talking about Arc as a product. And you said infrastructure is code. That is to say, for infrastructure that I put under the care and feeding of Arc, I can interface with Arc to manage that infrastructure using programmatic techniques. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Um, for anything that runs on Kubernetes anyway, because I mean, Kubernetes yeah. is infrastructure as code. Of course, but anything of course, yeah. that, that runs through Arc um, also runs through ARM templates or even better, bicep templates. If you're using ARM templates today and you have not looked into Bicep yet, look into Bicep. You will love it. Trust me. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Just trust me on this. Um, but, um, I mean, that, 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 that whole cloud thing it is getting so overwhelming, especially for smaller shops that just don't have IT departments of um, potentially um, hundreds of people. So I, I, I think infrastructure as code and any kind of automation I, I mean in some kind at some point it might just be a small piece of a powershell script or whatever doesn't always have to be like the um huge terraform solution but anything that gets you reproducible results no matter where you're deploying to um that is kind of the end goal for everything here because that means i don't have to make a decision today that i cannot reverse without it being super painful um six months from now Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. And I, I think another important thing to call out is Microsoft has sort of selected Kubernetes as the common platform. Yes. So you, you can ARC enable the servers and and the SQL servers that you have today. But really, if you're looking towards the future, you're good, probably going to be running Kubernetes, maybe even manage Kubernetes somewhere. But now Correct. you can take advantage of this ARC enabled services to go and deploy whatever i'm sure they're not going to stop with data services and machine learning they're going to add some other things on there that are maybe i, I would i would expect that and um data services so far as managed instant and um postgresql um i would expect uh, a couple of extra data services to pop in there over time as well obviously it makes sense to start with those that are most popular slash um that already have an equivalent on-prem so it is something where people can actually modernize something rather than just bring in all the super fancy stuff that may not even be, uh, well, I mean, that's why there's so much stuff out there where I'm like, okay, but who actually uses that? Well, I don't know anyone who uses it in production, but it sounds super cool. Yes, it does sound super cool, but um, in the end, um, this doesn't get you with the product we need. Um, machine learning, um, Argonable machine learning also runs purely on Kubernetes. And the nice thing about machine learning is that you can either use it to um, just scale out stuff. So I got five Kubernetes clusters, and I'm just training my machine learning models on whichever cluster has the most spare capacity at this point. But you can also use it to say, well, I've developed this super nice TensorFlow thing in a central development location, but it needs to be processed where the data is um, because I'm doing real-time fraud detection on whatever, but it cannot leave um, the premises um, where the underlying um, data is. So um, two different use cases, again, for the same product, but again, it is only running on Kubernetes. So if you also, if you haven't looked into Kubernetes, I would probably consider doing that. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I think we've we've hammered that point pretty uh, pretty hard home, at least on day two cloud. That that was a topic of discussion a lot in the last year. 
I feel like we haven't talked about Kubernetes as much lately because it's now just become like background noise almost. It's like, yes, it's yeah. implied in everything that yes. we're talking about. <laughs> now, if I want to consume Azure Arc, yeah. what do I, I, I want to get into some specifics here on the architecture. What do I have to deploy in Microsoft Azure to use Arc? Do I have to spin up some machines or just, just enable no. a service? What, what's going on on that side of things? So, um, at the minimum, you need nothing because in theory, um, you could deploy a managed instance on-prem that never gets connected even to the Azure cloud. So it wouldn't even show up there. So you wouldn't even see the slightest footprint in there. Hmm. Um, it's kind of beneath and besides the point of doing that. So I would not recommend doing it. I'm also not sure how the billing interface would work in that case. You might be something that is um, explicitly not allowed as per the fine print. So read the fine print. Don't say, Ben told me I can do that. You can. <laughs> um, even in the other cases, you don't need much. Basically, everything that is happening is happening through um, Azure Monitor. So you need um, a log analytics workspace, uh, a resource group where that sits. And that is pretty much it. All the other resources deploy themselves as kind of a resource. So you will see, okay, this is my Windows server that sits on AWS and you can you, you can add tags and all the other stuff. So they're, they're just like a regular um, uh, resource. So you might have one resource group that says, okay, there is my managed instance and there's my Azure SQL DB. And oh, cool. There's my Arc SQL managed instance. Um, and that sits in this in this data center. And there is my Arc Postgres DB and there's my Arc data controller and whatever. Um, the resources deploy themselves. So you don't really need to do anything. Again, in many cases, you will need a local analytics workspace just for Azure Monitor to have something that can actually store all that data. Mm -hmm. And um, what you will also need for most case, most scenarios is actually a service principle because you do not want to do everything. Like with Arc enabled data services, for example, by default, it will, um, you can have it in active mode or direct mode or indirect mode. In indirect mode, you will manually upload um, the log files um, as per a schedule or really manually on the indirect mode, it will just automatically do that. And the way it happens and the way it communicates with the Azure cloud happens for a service principle. And yeah, the whole point of having everything connected in, from my perspective is not to have to manually check accounts and everything on every single one of these boxes, but just have a service account that takes care of all of that for me, starting from onboarding up to the actual log upload and stuff. So that, that's pretty much all you need. So that's also pretty much all it will cost you, honestly. Okay. Except for services consumed. So you deploy a managed instance, you pay for that managed instance. But bringing in your um, Arc-enabled um, Windows server, for you don't pay a Windows license or anything for that because you already own that. You already have that Windows server. So, um, I mean, yes, you pay for storage for the log analytics workspace, but then again, how many logs can you actually gather that um, this becomes significant? Oh, man, I turned verbose logging on everything. I, I need all of the logs. <laughs> yeah, but storage is logging if I can get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's what I need on the Azure side. What about the target side, whether it's on-prem or another cloud? Do, can I set up like a gateway uh, I think you mentioned most of the, at least the virtual machines in the SQL instances have an agent installed. Do all of those agents just reach out directly to Azure Arc or is there a way to kind of funnel them through a management gateway or something like that? No, they, they all reach out directly. Um, so basically all they need is to have um, HTTPS access um, to the Azure. There's an endpoint that is in the docs that I keep forgetting because um, I will just say, 
You, you can call anywhere as long as it's encrypted. <laughs> I don't care. Um, but um, okay. yeah, that, that, that's pretty much all you need. So they will um, directly call home. Um, no gateways involved, no VPNs or anything involved. Unless, of course, you want those resources to talk to something that sits in a private. So if you've deployed something in a private VNet in Azure and you want your uh, local MI to be able to talk to that, then you might need to bring them together through some kind of VPN routing, um, whatever. But other than that, um, there is no need for any of that. So it is super easy and slick to set up. When you stand up the agent, is it just calling out to a DNS name then to, to connect to home? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay, so you could white you could and and I'm assuming you can set up a proxy, so you can whitelist that yes. your proxy and, and correct. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. So, so, so it would maybe just take the example of enabling an Azure Arc enabled um, Windows Server. Um, what you would do is you you go to the Azure portal, say, hey, I want the new Arc enabled Windows Server. Um, you answer a couple of questions, and in the end, it spits out a PowerShell script for you. If you if it would be a Linux server, it would spit out a Bash script for you. It has like three optional lines in there where you can say, okay, this is my proxy, this is my service accounts um, ID, and this is its password. If you leave those empty, um, it will not use a proxy and it will prompt you to log into the Azure portal, which is fine if it's one or two servers. And otherwise, again, use a service principle because you will go nuts with all those um, single and manual sign-ins. But this is based, and once you've created that script, you can reuse it indefinitely. As you know, I said indefinitely, and I'm pretty sure at some point they're going to change the API. So <laughs> I'm sure they will. <laughs> For so the does, foreseeable future, maybe? <laughs> so so then does, the, does, does the network need to be anything exciting then to connect between on-prem and, and, and home base for Azure Arc? I mean, is, or is nah. it just like the assumption is as long as I can get there, it's, it's fine. Um, so VPN, Express Route, any, I, I guess that doesn't sound like I need anything special, nah. really. Not, nothing of that. Um, I mean, it, it needs a little bandwidth, obviously, because it is uploading logs and stuff. And especially if you're doing like a big assessment on a SQL server, it will actually transfer a couple of hundred megabytes on back and forth. Yeah. Um, but so don't try this um, when tethering. But then again, um, <laughs> general advice, don't tether your servers. That's kind of, if there's nothing you're taking away from this podcast, but this, don't tether your servers. Um, so no. <laughs> <laughs> and this is actually what I like um, about so much about Arc. Um, it is, first of all, it fits in very neatly with the existing tooling. So Azure Arc enabled data services running Kubernetes. You can deploy that through native Kubernetes tools like kubectl, which if you're working with Kubernetes, you know how to use that and you get a YAML file to deploy all this. So it's, it's nothing new. It's just yeah. a different resource type. Obviously, I haven't really used Kubernetes before, but well, I use the Azure PowerShell module or I use the Azure CLI, then you can do um, AZ um, SQL MI Arc create instead of AZ SQL MI create. So you're basically using an almost identical command that mm -hmm. you've used in the Azure cloud before. You just add the minus Arc to it and you're done. So it really fits in with existing tooling. And I, I think this, this is something that, that Microsoft really got right there because you, you don't really have to learn a bunch of new stuff. Basically, all you do is, hey, here's a PowerShell script, run it. If you're a Windows DBA, you probably know how to do that. And, and that's it. And all the rest will be super native with the uh, existing Azure, Windows, SQL Server, whatever the product is experience. The, the context here does seem to be we're in the Microsoft world. It's Azure and it's things that Microsoft is good at dealing with, Windows boxes, SQL Server, uh, Linux, and so on. 
But what if I want to bring some resources I've got sitting up in AWS, maybe, and bring that under Azure Arc for management? Is that is that a dumb idea? Is that even possible, Ben? The answer is, of course, it depends. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Doesn't it, though? <laughs> um, so as long as these resources fit into um, the existing offerings, so if you bring in a Windows server that sits in AWS, sure, no problem. That's exactly what it's made for. Um, if you bring in an EKS cluster, so a managed Kubernetes cluster in the Amazon cloud, sure, you can do that. If it's something that is completely specific to um, like an S3 share in the AWS cloud, there, there is no equivalent to that in the Azure cloud. So you, you could not bring that in because um, there would just be nothing um, that it would work with. So what you're saying is... Mm -hmm. Azure Arc does not have any special nod to the AWS world where, oh Correct. yeah, we support these, these API primitives and such. That's not no. there. Um, it, that's not there. Um, what you can do fairly easily is, for example, um, hey, I got this little PowerShell script that reads all the tags from my existing AWS um, VM, and it will just put, there is no switch that says, hey, please copy all the tags because they wouldn't be exposed to the actual VM. Mm. But um, it would probably be, three lines of PowerShell or so to do that. So um, that's fairly easy, getting us back mm -hmm. to, hey, let's automate stuff, as long as it's a service that has an equivalent in Azure. So Azure Arc is not, um, just like Bicep is only focusing on the Microsoft slash Azure world, Azure Arc is not trying to solve a problem that you could not have in the Azure cloud, if that makes sense. So um, mm -hmm. it, it, it is tailored at people that say, hey, a good bunch of my stuff is already in Azure. And then again, I think that makes pretty much sense because if you say, hey, I got all my stuff, 50% is in AWS and 50% is in the Google Cloud, but none of them kind of have something like Arc. I'm now going to bring all that metadata into Azure where I don't have anything else. Um, people probably wouldn't do that. Um, and all the others, if you say, hey, my databases, my VMs, my Kubernetes, that should already cover a lot. All the rest would probably mm -hmm. be specifics. But, and also if you say, well, one of the use cases or one of the point is, hey, I got multiple teams in multiple clouds working on the same thing and I want to bring commonality across that. It's not something you could actually have with a service that only exists in specific clouds. So um, it doesn't even have to be AWS. I, I, let's say you're running um, a hosted version of Jira. Um, uh, and that also runs in, in, in the cloud, which I think actually is AWS in the background. But um, who, who knows for sure? Nobody knows these days. Uh, <laughs> there would be no way of having an Azure Arc enabled Jira. But then again, this product is so specific that you can be pretty sure you will not have multiple teams working on multiple Jiras and multiple, at least I hope so. Um, so yeah, th th that's not what they're aiming at. Right. Okay. So you're not going to be managing even your RDS instances or right. or your Lambda functions with Arc. Right. That's that's still going to sit on the AWS side. Right. But the common building blocks, the the EC2 instances, that's something you can at least yes. get some visibility exactly. on. Yes. Okay. That makes sense to me. It's not terribly surprising. I don't think Microsoft wants to enable you to consume more AWS services. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um. One other thing that I saw when I was looking at the product site for Arc was they were touting that you can use it at the edge. And I thought that was sort of more, more the provenance of Azure Stack and Azure Stack uh, Databox and Databox Edge or, or, or all those products. So 
if I do want to use Arc at the edge, is there anything special that I need to know or have deployed in order to use it there? No. So again, that's kind of the different use cases stack kind of being the hardware appliance. So um, on Azure Stack or Azure Stack HCI, you could also deploy Azure Kubernetes services and then you could Arc enable them, for example, and have them oh. um, call back home. Okay. Um, yeah. So they could work in tandem. I already co- had a, the uh, Kubernetes correct. mini cluster through Azure Stack. Now I can use Azure Arc to push down machine learning exactly. or whatever I want to do. Or, or you build your own Kubernetes cluster using VMs on your Azure Stack, um, and then you Arc enable that and deploy your Arc enabled data services to it, or your Arc enabled machine learning, um, whatever the use case might be. Ben, is it uh, fair to so, say that Arc is location agnostic? It doesn't know or exactly care as long as it can reach out. Um, it doesn't really correct. care where the resources are, right? Co- correct. Any infrastructure, um, I mean, any infrastructure. When you say any infrastructure, um, it, it says a bit too much because um, some of my Kiki friends are, ha, perfect. So I'm going to deploy that managed instant to my Raspberry Pi. And I'm like, yeah, no, you won't because Raspberry <laughs> Pi is it's using a different processor architecture. So it's, yeah. it, it would probably work um, from a resource perspective with memory and CPU, but um, there's no SQL Server image um, that would run on the um, Raspberry Pi processors. So um, Yet. that's more the limiting factor there. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Yet, <laughs> I mean, then there, then again, there's um, SQL on Edge that would ex- do exactly that, but that would be Arc enabled. But um, mm. oh my god, <laughs> and, um, blown. Uh, <laughs> but but to your point, even that, that that is exactly right. Arc doesn't really know where it is, um, even if you tell it um, through tags, or sp- because that's kind of what I do if I have if I'm using Arc across multiple locations. One of the first tags is like, okay which cloud is this in and which region is this in? Oh, because then, for example, I could say, okay, I might just, I, I have a couple of SQL servers going down in my Azure monitor and I say, oh, but they're all sitting in the same AWS region. And then you check with AWS and say, oh, okay, that makes sense because that AWS region is actually having big issues. Hmm. Um, but that would tell me, it wouldn't tell Arc. Arc doesn't care. Hmm. Right. Ben, talk to us about uh, uh, pricing for Arc. Uh, is there a license scheme? Is it per node? Is it like per service? How, how does Microsoft charge for this thing? So um, basically at this point, it's except for Arc enabled data service, it's pretty much free except of the storage and stuff you consume in the Azure portal. Um, and for Arc enabled data services, it is priced, um, well, you, you pay for it by the hour as you would pay for a managed instance that you deploy on Azure. And it is priced obviously below the offering that you would get in the Azure cloud uh, for the reason that, well, the price that you pay for an MI is depending on the number of cores and everything. And it is a combination of software cost, maintenance cost, and um, the hardware below that. Since you're bringing your own hardware, I think it is fair that uh, Microsoft is not charging you again for it. So um, it's likely below that. And it, it starts at a couple of cents for a small in, for a small deployment, and it obviously goes up to um, a couple of hundred bucks an hour um, if you're deploying this on like a huge box. Okay, so if I if I just have a fleet of VMs that I want to add to Azure Arc, I'm really just paying for storage on Correct. on the Azure side. And Correct, um, because oh. I, well, I think Azure Monitor itself is free as well. Um, so um, that that will leave you with storage because that's all you do. On the on the Azure side of the house, 
Okay. But I think the real magic here that, that and I keep coming back to this is what you can do with Kubernetes and the services yes. that they're adding there and being able to go, hey, I want some managed instances or I want to do some machine learning deployed out, pay as you go, and then pull it all back in when you're done. That's oh, very interesting. So this has been I, I didn't really understand Arc at the beginning. I think I kind of get it now. I think it's probably something I'm going to have to play around with. And I saw there was a bunch of quick start guides where I don't even need to spin up a big giant Correct. cluster. I can just run kind on my, on my laptop to, to get my arms at least around the, the data services component. There's a super amazing website out there, um, azurejumpstart.io, which is something that's built and maintained um, by the Microsoft product group. And um, that's probably the site that you've just referred to. It, it kind of gives you a sandbox environment on all the um, Arc services. So you don't have to go ahead and spin up like 15 VMs um, just to onboard them. But it, it does all that nicely for you in the background. So you can, okay, I want to play with that. Oh, okay, this is what it looks like in the portal. Cool. Okay. So, um, just to get an understand. So, because, I mean, we're, we're all geeks. We, we, we don't want to like <laughs> read about it for hours. We, we want to get our hands dirty, um, but we want to do it without adding too much cost to our Azure account and also without messing too much with our existing infrastructure. So most uh, DBAs or Windows Server admins are probably slightly hesitant if you just say, hey, here's a PowerShell script, just run that for me. I'm not going to tell you what it does, but it's pretty cool. Just just do that. Um, they might be like, yeah, no. Um, but in that sandbox <laughs> environment, you can kind of try out, okay, is it checking all the boxes? Is it doing all the stuff that you need without onboarding potentially hundreds of servers and then to realize, okay, this is not what I wanted. I now have to manually remove all them again. Right. All right. Very cool. I... I've enjoyed this conversation, Ethan. I think you got dragged into this as well a little bit, piqued your interest. Uh, oh, yeah. If listeners out there uh, are interested, can you maybe summarize some of the main takeaways from the episode? I will try. Um, first of all, I would say the future is hybrid, at least for most of us. Um, I know there will be people out there like, well, what is he talking about? I got everything in one single cloud, both of my VMs. Yes. Um, if your infrastructure is that slim, um, cool. <laughs> I mean, we're a super small shop with 12 people and we got stuff running in three different clouds. Um, Not because, well, also because we're techies and we don't care. We think it's actually pretty cool to have stuff kind of knitted together, but also because due to the software and stuff that we use, there there is no way around that. So find a way to deal with that. It will not everything work with one single event. Also don't overdo it. So don't over geek it and have like um, 50 different, um, 50 similar services in 50 different clouds just because you can, but um, be prepared that um, we will be hybrid for probably more than the foreseeable future. Um, I, I think um, if ever it will be way down the road that we end up at a point where some where we can really say, okay, we go to one single cloud. So it's, it only comes down to price. Simplicity is king and automation is a huge part of that simplicity. So um, look into infrastructure as code, look at what you can do with PowerShell. Um, I only got into pow- really into PowerShell like, a year or two ago or so I was pretty late to the party uh, and these days I'm like how did I ever live without that (laughs) (laughs) look into bicep because again arm templates bicep yay Um, Mm -hmm. as briefly mentioned bicep is kind of a new arm template dialect if you want so Um, and it's just so much slimmer and and cleaner look into it and the last takeaway is minus minus use case. And um, you will have to figure out Azure Arc enabled data services to understand what I mean by that. It's kind of an inside joke. So, um, but 
you will get it. You will figure it out. If not, like find our, me on Twitter and I will explain it to you. But explaining jokes is always like me. So <laughs> yeah, sounds like our audience is just going to have to play around with it and, and find out, discover what it means. If folks want to know more about you, can you point them in some different directions for stuff you've created or places they can find you? Yes. So um, depending on if they prefer reading or if they prefer um, watching stuff, um, I, I wrote books on pretty much all of the stuff that we've uh, talked about today. So big data clusters, SQL and Kubernetes, um, Arc-enabled data services. Um, and uh, I also got a couple of Pluralsight courses out there from Bicep. I co-authored a course on Azure Kubernetes services and Azure Arc. So there's pretty much everything we talked about. Um, you, you will find uh, a course about that. Um, I, I don't blog that much recently because, uh, yeah, I feel like there's kind of an <laughs> overload on blogs and also I'm lazy. So I put my energy into, into doing courses. You're um, so lazy creating courses and writing books. <laughs> yeah, correct. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. And if people want to follow you, I see at Twitter, you're B Weissman and LinkedIn. Right. It's just Ben Weissman. So very easy exactly. to find you there. Well, Ben, thank you so much for appearing today on Day 2 Cloud. And hey, virtual high fives to you, listener, for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, we would love to hear them. You can hit either of us up on Twitter at Day 2 Cloud Show or fill out the form on my fancy website, nedinthecloud.com. Did you know that you don't have to scream into the technology void alone? The Packet Pushers Podcast Network has a free Slack group open to everyone. Visit packetpushers.net slash slack and join. It's a marketing-free zone for engineers to chat, compare notes, tell war stories, and solve problems together. Packetpushers.net slash slack. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.